5. One Golden Moment Podcast. We are here talking America's pastime. Just Dela Santos on the mic as always. Along here with Joey Patton, aka Jose Patron. Unfortunately, Lucy Schaefer is not with us in the studio today. She's a, I don't know, in sorrow over the Cubs. I don't even know what's happening with the Cubs. I just have to, I assume it's something <laughs> Cubs related. Something Chicago related. The Bulls aren't in the playoffs. I don't know who the who the Bears picked yesterday. I feel like it's something, <laughs> something <laughs> Chicago related. Yeah. Cubs just beat my Dodgers 2-1. Oh, I guess it's not Cubs related. <laughs> uh, as you can kind of tell, I'm a little bit uh, under the weather. Unfortunately, I was trying to hopefully, you know, sleep it off. But, you know, that's kind of, that's the reality of it. You know, we just got to push through. We're going to have a little bit of a an MJ flu game. But it's all good. We finally got a, we were able to bring in a second microphone, got some microphone covers. We're going to be sounding beautiful, just like a a well-executed 4-6-3 double play. I don't know where I'm <laughs> going with this metaphor. <laughs> But Joey, we got some we got some stuff to talk about. A lot happened this past week. A lot happened to talk about. We're not talking about my rec league team. Uh, uh-uh, uh, we ain't talking about <laughs> my non-existent rec league team. So, as we like to start off in the the beginning of every podcast, you know, go through uh, what had happened it, for, since the last time we recorded and what had happened. Uh, Cal, in in just to take a super macro view of it, Cal takes a one of three from number one UCLA. Uh, best team in the country. Uh, Cal said, uh, who? <laughs> who? Is this your best team? Is this your king, so to say? <laughs> so just to run through that series real quick, uh, game number one, UCLA defeats Cal 8-7. to seven. Uh, Cal was kind of, they were kind of a couple innings, though, from really taking this one home. I believe they had a 7-3 lead uh, going into the bottom of the fifth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you can tell by the score, Cal wasn't able to hold on. Uh, the Bears struck early and often. Corey set the tone with the solo shot in the first inning to give Cal a one nothing lead. Uh, Quentin Selma had an opposite field home run in the top of the fifth, and then Lee had his second home run of the day in the sixth inning, or fifth inning, rather. So you're looking at a 7-3 lead, and, you know, considering the way this pitching staff was pitching, you're thinking they're about to steal game number one right off the bat against the best team in the country. But uh, wheels kind of come off. UCLA scores two runs in the bottom of the fifth inning, two in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then walk it off in the bottom of the ninth. Uh, with a walk-off walk, you know, the most most exciting play in baseball right there. <laughs> and that really, st- you know, that loss really stings. But, you know, we'll sort of go into that game a little more when we talk about uh, the big picture stuff uh, from this series. You know, Corey Lee has the two home runs on the day, selling with the solo shot. Uh, it was a rough outing for the Sabori-Stottenborough combination. Uh, Sabori goes the two innings as usual, but he allows an earned run. Uh, Stottenborough goes five innings, but allows six earned runs, walks five batters, allows eight hits. Very uncharacteristic of him, but, you know, this is the number one team in the country, so you got to give a, mm-hmm. yeah, have a little leeway when examining these games. Uh, game number two, Cal defeats UCLA, and for the third week in a row, it's the Jared Horn Show. And this has just been an unprecedented run from the junior. Another start of at minimum eight innings pitched. This time he sets his career high again. 8.1 innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, and, you know, it was, I believe it was an unearned run that was like that one ding mm-hmm. on him. On a throwing error. Yeah, on a throwing error. And then Ryan Garcia, he was, you know, he was fantastic in his own right, but, and Garcia's probably the hottest pitcher that UCLA had going into this series, but mm-hmm. it's, Jared Horn's just, he's on like one of the greatest runs that we've, we've seen him pitch for sure. And then, you know, if you want to go back over the past couple of seasons, it's like, it's a pretty unprecedented run of like, of starting pitching. It's incredible. Jared Horn's a dog, dude. You're looking at, the, I mean, it, it's just the stuff he's doing, the stuff he's throwing. He had dudes out front. He was blowing balls by dudes. He was getting balls on the ground. Everything he was doing, he was doing it right. 
And then that third game, UCLA defeats Cal to take the series. You know, UCLA had a, you know, they just got knocked off. And, you know, you know, we talked about this, you know, it's, is it more than a game? You know, there's a lot riding it, you know, battle for the number one public university, <laughs> Northern California, Southern California, who's the real blue and gold team? You know, you, a lot of these narratives heading into that third game of the series. And they really pitched like it, they had the nation's second best ERA because, you know, they do have the nation's second best ERA. Jack Ralston with a 6.1 innings pitch only gives up the one earned run, strikes out six, and the bullpen takes it from there. A 2.2 perfect inning not perfect innings but 2.2 innings of not giving up a run really slams the door on Cal and takes the series and then in addition to that UCLA series there was also uh, Cal's midweek matchup against Sacramento State um, the one thought I had was that the Drake song uh, looking for revenge all summer 16 and it was just an absolute annihilation of the Hornets you know coming after that UCLA series in which they were just they were a couple innings away from really taking it and in that previous matchup up in Sacramento, I actually went there. That was the first game I was able to, you know, both be present for and cover. Uh, that previous game, Cal did not look like Cal by any stretch of the imagination. They didn't score a single run, only held the four hits. The pitch, I remember Mike knew when I was doing the post game, he, he didn't really have anything positive to say at all. And like he said, they didn't hit well, they didn't pitch well, they didn't field well. You know, all the things you need to win a, to win a baseball game, they didn't exactly do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that really stuck out to my mind from that previous matchup was uh, Andrew Vaughn went 0 for 4, had three strikeouts, and one of the ugliest swings that I've ever seen him take. But in this second matchup on last Tuesday, the Bears handled their business right from the jump. They scored six runs and totaled six hits in the first inning alone. Uh, lots of great games all across the board. Cameron Eden had a great game, Corey Lee, Andrew Vaughn. And that really allowed the seven pitchers that Cal sent to the mound to have a relatively stress-free game. Uh, Connor Oswald made his Cal debut. And I was, I was sitting in the stands for this game, and I think he had a couple buddies behind home plate, you know, really cheering him on. Uh, first batter that he ever faces, he allows a home run, so not exactly the best way you want to start your Cal tenure, mm-hmm. but comes back from it, retires the next three batters, strikes out two, so it was a very wholesome moment to see that, you know, the, those minor things you see in between the games. Mm-hmm. But to just to go uh, super macro again, since the last podcast we did, Cal is uh, two and two, and there's one number that really sticks out. You know, of all the numbers that we can look in, look at from this UCLA series, all the performances, there's there's one number that really sticks out to both of us, and that's 47. Now, if you're asking what's the significance of 47, that's where Cal currently stands uh, in the RPI. And their previous number was, uh, before the UCLA series, was 66. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty <laughs> sizable jump. Yeah, it definitely is. It's, um... I don't know. I mean, anytime you get the like Coach New said, anytime you get the opportunity to go on the road and take on the number one team in the country and in your conference, that's an opportunity to gain some ground and leap up in those rankings. And exactly what we saw, even in that first game, you know, we know Cal didn't win, but to go in there, put up a fight, put up seven runs on that stellar pitching staff. I mean, that shows that these guys can hang. And then to come out the next day and beat UCLA's, you know, best pitcher, hold him. I mean, Jared Horn hold the offense only to one unearned run. It was a pretty remarkable run. So, you know what? This team definitely earned that jump. And you were actually down in Westwood for the series. Before, mm-hmm. any, before anything, i got to ask you one question. This is the most important question I'm going to ask you. If not, I'm going to have to leave the premises. <laughs> Did you go to Fat Sal's? You might have to leave the premises, man. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is uh, top ten anime uh, betrayals of all time. <laughs> 
but how was how was your experience down in Westwood? Not even just going to the game, but how was the the general experience? It was because yeah, just how was the general experience? No, it's a cool college town. I'd been before. I'd seen UCLA's campus a couple times. Um, it's great. I mean, people are friendly. I'm from LA, so I like I like that vibe a lot. Um, and I do Jackie Robinson Park. That is such a beautiful stadium, man. I it, it's it's like. It's not beautiful in the sense that like AT&T or Oracle, excuse me, Park. No, we're calling it AT&T or Pac-Bell. Okay. If you call it SBC Park, you're a masochist. If you call it Oracle, <laughs> I disown you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, AT&T has the you know, beautiful ballpark vibe because it's new and it looks gorgeous and it has the bay, everything like that. Um, but then you look at Fenway Park and it's a different kind of beautiful. It's a little, not archaic, but just old school. It's a little run down, but in like it's kind of a novelty in that sense. And that's the vibe I got from Jackie Robinson Stadium. It still had like all the green walls everywhere. The seats were green, that kind of stuff. It had a really old school ballpark type of feel. And I, I mean, I fell in love with it. It was honestly gorgeous. And it's really no frills in that sense. Because I remember I've been to Fenway and it was the type of stadium where it's you know, it doesn't have all the, the fancy accoutrement that, like, a, mm-hmm. an AT&T might have or that any of these fancier ballparks might have. It's just hot dogs, beer, mm-hmm. cotton candy, like, no frills whatsoever. And that's that's sort of, you know, I'm going to have to make this trip down to Jackie Robinson Park at some point. But, mm-hmm. you know, just being able to watch it on TV, it was, you can sort of sense the history, especially with a name, like, like Jackie Robinson yep. Park. That's definitely a flex. They, uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. They're going to use that at every opportunity. So if you didn't go to Fat Cells, I need to ask, where did you go to eat? Because this is, this is the second most important question. If you went to like, some, if you went to, like Popeyes, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> Dude, I'm not even going to lie. I went with my parents actually out to the game, and we just stopped and got dinner on the way in Pasadena because uh, we were kind of pressed for time. So I really didn't get too much of a chance to go and try out some fine Westwood cuisine. I don't know that Fat Sal's is open until like four in the morning, but I can't imagine the parents being the type to nope. to want to leave for <laughs> for just a, for a sandwich at you know such a late time because I believe the game ended around ten o'clock at that point. Mm-hmm. So you weren't able to watch his games one and three, but you were you were able to watch uh, game two. And I'm curious, what was what was the vibe like in the stadium? Because like you know you can sort of like gauge like when someone's dealing or when someone's having a big game you can like gauge you know the environment you like there's a certain energy that's exhibited so i'm curious mm-hmm. as to what that energy was in the stadium what really caught me off guard was there was a surprisingly large amount of cal fans at this game and i was not expecting that um like apparently we travel really well that's the first road game i've been able to make it to and it's definitely it helps that it's you know just down the five freeway in los angeles so it's not too much of a journey to make but the energy was great um you know this ucla team they sell out games i mean when you're number one in the nation people are going to show up to watch you play and when it's a conference rival especially like the whole berkeley la rivalry going i mean people are going to turn out for that and i mean as far as so i was sitting on the first base side with all the other cal fans and uh, it was really funny because when UCLA would do something, they'd chant UC, and then we'd respond, LA. that's us. And then they'd <laughs> say LA, and we'd go, that's you. <laughs> so, I always love this. I, I don't know if it's just a – I don't know if this is a – if it's maybe the schools that I've been to, but, you know, in the road games that I've been to for basketball and the road games that I've been to for baseball, it just definitely – like the vibes seem kind of different, like in – I think this is going to sound like super obvious, but when you hear it, it's like you'll kind of get it. It's like basketball games have a basketball vibe, but baseball games have like a strictly baseball vibe. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, I always go back to that Sacramento State game when it's like they had the, the muscle cars doing burnouts and they had, like, all of these, like, minor things. But it's like it feels like like Little League, like, on steroids in a sense. I feel like that's the best way I can describe it. While bas- like While college basketball games are just like a micro version of NBA games in a sense. Mm-hmm. So, like, speaking of the actual, like, instead of, like, along with the actual environment, you were able to see Horn live, and just what was, like, what were your biggest takeaways just from his performance in that game? You know, Jared Horn steps onto the mound, and he's a presence. He stands at, what, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, so, you know, he gets out there, and he's, you can't miss him, obviously. And then, you know, he has that range. He has uh, the reach that, I think, that gives him a lot of help on his velocity, things like that. Um he he was overpowering batters, dude, and you know he was painting the corners. Dudes were getting, re- people were getting rung up, you know, looking at pitches on the corners, thinking it was outside, but it'd break right in, and you know, umpire'd ring him up, and that was it, sitting people down. He was getting ground balls, which is like obviously a good sign, because you know you got to be able to know keep the ball down, let your defense work a little bit, and that's what he told me. He said, you know, I got to let my defense work because I know they're gonna pick me up anytime I falter. And in regard to the run, he gave – well, he didn't give it up. That's just the thing. So he walked a batter, gets on, and uh, the batter was getting a little – the runner, excuse me, was getting a little aggressive. Corey Lee tries to gun him down at first, overthrows it into right field, and he advances two bases, and they bunt him in. So really, I mean, the run that was given up wasn't Jared's fault. Uh, Yeah, he did let him on board, but, I mean, there's nothing he could have done about the the missed throw. This was a a point that I I was a little curious as to bringing up um, last week. Uh, heading into this UCLA series because we had, you know, we've seen the the Sabori Stottenborough combination be lethal, but we've also seen Jared Horn over the past three weeks just pitch some of the best baseball he's ever pitched. And you know, when it comes to the Friday, Saturday, Sunday rotation, or in the case of last week, the Thursday, Friday, Saturday rotation, it's like. For the most part, it's something you want to keep set just to allow everybody to establish a rhythm. But on the flip side of that, you want to be able to have your the best bullet in your arsenal ready to go from the first game to really set the tone of the series. So I'm a little curious as to what your thoughts on this are. And, you know, we've seen both, you know, we've seen the Sabori and Stombro combination be lethal. We've seen Horn be lethal as of late. But, you know, it's, co- it's obviously over the last three weeks really tipped in the favor of Horn. And mm-hmm. I'm a little curious, do you think that New should make that transition and sort of switch them or keep them as they are at this point in time? I think it's got to be a case-by-case basis. I think he has to approach the opponent. I don't, I'm not necessarily um, a believer that you have to have one, your one, two, three guy. I think if you see that they're going to be batting more righties one night, then yeah. You're gonna to want to throw your righty, but if they're throwing a lefty, or if they're batting lefties, throw your lefty. I don't know. I think it's got to be a case by case thing. Um, I will definitely. I think one thing that we need to talk about in terms of the pitching staff as a whole. Well, you and I are always talking about how solid this lineup is from one through nine. Everyone's pulling their weight. Dude, I'm like a little convinced. I mean, I think this pitching staff is a little shallow. I remember I talked to New after game two, and he told me, uh, you know, we knew we were thin in the bullpen, so we wanted to have Jared go as long as we could. And he was pitching lights out, so obviously he was going to stay in. But I thought, well, how are you shot? You only threw three pitchers the day prior. You, I mean, he brought in Sabori, who had thrown, and I'm like, well, well who's, who is there to come in after that? You know, it's a little, little startling. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things that I've noticed with this team, too. And I, I looked at that 
uh, the first game of the series when they had uh, Stottenborough. He pitched the five innings, and I, he only threw nine. He, he threw 90 pitches, but if you look at, you know, just watching him, it was clear that, you know, the stuff that we've accustomed, we've been accustomed to seeing wasn't necessarily there, I believe. He had a lot of walks. He was giving up a lot of hits, like, like 14 combined walks and hits in five innings pitched. And, you know, if you have the weapons to go to in the bullpen, I think that's a case where, you know, you pull them out relatively early, minimize the damage, and let some fresh arms get in there. Mm-hmm. But that definitely has been one of the things that I've noticed. It's, it's a very top-heavy uh, rotation in a mm-hmm. sense because you do have a really you have a really solid uh, Friday matchup or uh, yeah Friday matchup with uh, Saborin Stottenborough. You have an absolute stud in Horn, but then after that, that's where you sort of get into both the question of that third game because as we've seen. That third game is a little bit of a, a question mark, and and I think that's it's still in flux in a sense. We've seen that combination of Holman and Reyes over the past couple of weeks, but then when you start getting into the bullpen, I believe one of their more prominent fixtures is uh, Sullivan, but his ERA is in the fours. And then once you sort of get once you sort of get us outside of you know the core pitching staffs, you know Horn, Sabori, and Stottenborough, that's when you start to, and Reyes as well. That's when you really start to see the the contrast between their core guys and the bullpen and I think that's the reason and I think that might result in a little bit of added pressure to the bullpen or not the bullpen the pitcher the starting pitchers or in the case of Stottenborough these these long relievers in a sense Mm -hmm. as that season goes along and obviously you don't want to you know make it to the point where if you're getting lit up you're still going to have these you know eat up these innings but it is going to be a problem that you know as this Cal team tries to make it into tournament contention. It's something that they're going to have to address going forward. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I just, <laughs> we talked about the opener. You and I have been debating that since the beginning of this season. I remember you texted me. You said, you know, maybe this opener, like it, it, it's been working, but it does create the problem of you don't have Sabori in those late innings when you might need him most, you know? And I think, I mean, if we have faith in Stoutenborough because he's pitched well, he is a freshman, so, like, obviously there's a lot of slack to be giving him. I think he's done a phenomenal job stepping into college baseball, and he's held his own. Um, And, you know, whatever, UCLA's number one, of course, you know, he's going to stumble sometimes, and that's okay. But I don't see why. I mean, I think he can step in to the rubber at the beginning of the game, and I think, you know, using Sabori later on uh, could be beneficial. I think he's ready to make that jump going into a starter, but – then again, Coach New knows a lot more about this staff than I do. So what I know that everything he's doing is for a good reason. Yeah. But – sorry, go ahead. No. And Sabori is going to be pitching – he is going to be in that opener role in the first game of uh, the Oregon series. So, you know, he is going to be – you know, on the question of, you know, whether or not they're going to mix it up, at least as far as this Oregon series, they're going to stick with what they know. Mm-hmm. But it did bring up an interesting dilemma because – at the end of that UCLA game, you know, 7-3 going into, I think, the bottom of the fifth inning. And even when they allowed the two runs in the bottom of the fifth inning, it's 7-5 going into the later frames. That's a position when, you know, if you had the opportunity to call upon Sabori, that's probably a position that, you know, you would want to put him in. And it was it was a case in which Cal had used, you know, it's like it, it felt as in a sense they did and they didn't play their hand a little too early because that's you know Sabori is part of that opening strategy but you know in terms of the course of that game and you know the lack of 
you know, super reliable bullpen arms that this team has, this would have been a case where it would have been incredibly beneficial to be able to go to Sabori, but that option wasn't there. And that's, I think that's sort of the, the dilemma that New's facing here in that you have a formula that, however untraditional it might be, it works. Mm-hmm. And it has worked throughout the season. And this, te- this Cal team is in a really good position going forward because mm-hmm. of that formula. And obviously, I don't think either of us believe that Stottenborough is going to be in this, you know, quasi long relief role mm-hmm. for the entirety of his Cal career. I believe eventually mm-hmm. he's going to make that jump yeah. to being a true starter. Absolutely. But it's also you don't want to, you know, you don't want to mess up the flow of what you've created. And, and it's gotten to a point where, you know, this is what these guys are accustomed to at this point in the season. It's do you really want to throw a wrench in, you know, everything that you've developed, you know, with about you know, a month and a half, two months remaining in the season. So it is, it is quite the dilemma in terms of, you know, going forward. And especially as you get late into May and potentially even June, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how Cal exactly handles this going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes back to the idea that you don't want to, you know, mid-season just change everything you know, throw off the entire vibe and just the culture and what you've created, like you said, the whole M.O., um, I mean, this team has been really successful in this past month. We saw them sweep Long Beach, sweep Wazoo, put up a fight, win two of three against U of A, and, you know, they go up and do well against UCLA and beat Sacramento. So things are working, what they're doing. Um, and, re- yeah, I just uh, – you're right. There's definitely no need to change what's been working for them. And if they think that moving forward it's going to be crucial to their success, then, yeah. Um, one thing – Let's just talk really quickly. This is a little bit of a side note. You want to talk about Reyes for a second? Oh, let's I don't, go for it. I don't know what's – I feel like very – in his last several outings, he's been very consistently giving up, like, three runs, regardless of whether it's two innings, five innings, or 25 innings. It's three <laughs> runs. Yeah. So in the Washington State series, you know, he allows three earned runs. Arizona, two earned runs. UCLA, three earned runs. And, yeah, that, that's definitely one of the things that I've noticed over – you know, the past couple of weeks as well, he's, you know, a lot, not really walking too many guys. It's about, you know, two, about two and a half over those last three outings. He is, but he hasn't had, you know, the sharp stuff that he's had mm-hmm. over, you know, the past couple of, you know, in the weeks prior to that Washington series, you know, stay, starting with, say, you know, that Long Beach series, that Long Beach uh, State series. So that, that kind of gets back to that dilemma of having that third game because, and and also that dilemma of you know what what to do with you know Holman and Reyes is like do you want to do you want to stick with that Holman Reyes combo or do you want to just have Reyes you know give him that opportunity to start straight from the jump? But it is interesting to note that Reyes hasn't you know started a single game this entire season. It's all been those really you know in the same role as Stonebro in that long relief role. Mm-hmm. So you know there there are like it's a not necessarily dilemmas, but it's just an interesting, you know, task that this, you know, things to consider with this team going forward. Yeah, definitely. I mean, also, like, Ray, Reyes has shown so, so much improvement this season. He had an ERA over eight last year, and, you know, that's obviously come down quite a bit this season, and I think he's doing a great job. It's interesting, you because, like, he hasn't started a game, and I thought he was going to be one of the guys, but I guess if the long relief role is where he's most effective than okay um what's cool about Holman you mentioned him is like he brings a bat to the lineup too which I don't know I mean that's pretty deadly if you can get someone who go both ways and do that so yeah you know I think the Holman Reyes combo is interesting for sure 
Um, I'd just like to see what were, what were the numbers last time? Three earned from each. Yeah, I don't know. I think, you know, UCLA, it's always a tough matchup. But I think, you know, prior to that, they had been fine. And I think it does. It makes these, you know, the few midweek games that Cal has for the rest of the season. They have Brigham Young uh, on April 29th, this coming Monday. They have San Francisco on May 7th. And those are actually the only two midweek uh, games they have the less of the season. But oh. it make in, in the way that I see those games now is it's not just some, you know, one-off game where they can throw out these seven relievers and, you know, really give everyone the opportunity to pitch. It's Now the way I see it is, you know, it's this opportunity to see who you have. Yeah. And, you know, it might be just, you know, in a game like Sacramento State where, you know, they blow, like they absolutely destroy them, it's, it's really easy to look past some of the, you know, maybe not as great uh, relief performances. But when you get late into the season and you got to start considering that maybe Stoddenborough isn't going to be able to go all seven innings after Sabori goes two innings, or you, maybe, or you know that Horn isn't going to be able to go 8.1 innings or eight innings every single start from here on out, and you might not want to use Sabori in relief of Horn, or you know that you know Holman and Reyes aren't going to be able to get you to the ninth in their combined efforts. That's when you have to start really looking at these guys from these midweek series. And, mm-hmm. you know, there are a lot of freshmen during the Sacramento State's game uh, five of the seven players who pitched were freshmen, and then Oswald, he's a sophomore, even though he's making his Cal debut. It, it, does, it does bring in an interesting dilemma of, like, not necessarily a dilemma, but it, it adds like an increased importance as to how, as to the function of these midweek games and how important they are in terms of looking at, you know, who you can use in relief during the actual weekend series. Absolutely. And I think... Um you know, definitely it's, a, uh, it's an opportunity check your inventory, see what you got, give some guys some experience and exposure. But another thing is you can't take your foot off the gas and get too comfortable because I remember we were talking about it. The Sacramento State game, you lose that, that could shoot, you plummet in the rankings if you lose a game like that, you know. So you can't ever be too careful with these things. On the note of BYU, interesting fact, that was our first win of the season at the Angels Classic Tournament out in Arizona. Um, Sam Wesniak stepped up to the base, stepped up to the plate with the bases loaded and hit a stand-up triple. So, I don't know. I just thought that was worth mentioning because we're going to be playing him soon and wanted to give Sam a little shout-out for that because that was pretty cool getting us in the win column for the first time this season. You know, these midweek games give me a little opportunity to see what you got, um, play around with it, and work from there. And I think these, you know, the upcoming four games that Cal has, you know, you have the Oregon series Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you have BYU on Monday. So not only is it going to be an incredibly uh, busy stretch for this Cal team, but I think it's going to be one of the more important stretches for this Cal team in terms of, you know, that opportunity to really rise up in the rankings. They're currently, uh, as of recording, at 47. And, you know, in a scenario where they take, you know, two of three from Oregon and beat BYU or at least, you know, go two of two, because I believe both um, BYU and Oregon are above them in the rankings. If they can take both of these games, I just see that as another opportunity to really uh, rise up in the rankings. And Oregon is a, you know, I haven't watched too much Oregon, but when I was just like sort of breezing through uh, their, you know, stat sheet, they didn't have too many big hitters. They didn't really have too much of a, you know, lights out pitcher. So I was a little, this is just, this is speaking to, you know, my, my lack of knowledge in regards to, you know, Oregon baseball, but they didn't really have anybody that really, you know, stuck out in terms of having a stellar year. And, again, this is just speaking to, you know, my lack of knowledge in regards to Oregon. But 
you know, they are, I believe they, they are, they probably are ranked high up in the RPI for a reason, but if Cal has the opportunity to just, you know, have a winning record at the end of these four games, go three and one, hell, even four and oh, or even split them, I think that could be huge for them in the RPI going forward. And, you know, they were last year, I believe one of the reasons they didn't get in was because they ranked so low in the RPI. I think they finished the season 70 in the 70s. So every little opportunity for them to inch forward, to just keep pushing that needle just a little bit more forward, that's absolutely instrumental for them going forward. And, you know, unfortunately, me and you aren't going to be able to watch these games. We're going to be a daily sports retreat up in Tahoe. We're going to keep everything that happens in regards to that behind the curtains. Mm. <laughs> you don't need to know what's going on in Tahoe. You know, just a, a lot of wholesome hot chocolate making, cookies, uh, gather around the campfire, you know, sing playing some sing-along songs. Yeah, get the karaoke machine out, probably watching the Warriors at 7.30. If they lose to the Clippers, I'm going to go insane. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think, you know, I think me and you, at, le- at least me and you, you know, while everybody's, uh, you know, redacted, 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 uh, we're going to be watching this uh, Cal-Oregon game. And, you know, just keeping an – if not watching it, keeping an eye on it, and especially, you know, those latter two games – just to see where Horn goes with that, and then on Sunday to really see uh, what that Stoddenborough, or not Stoddenborough, what that Holman-Reyes, if that is the case, you know, what that combination does. And then with this BYU game on Monday, too, it's, you know, I'm really interested to see how they approach it because such a, since it is such a high-ranking team, are they going to, is this a scenario where they're going to go with one of their more prominent arms, you know, even on short rest? I don't believe that would be the case, but since it is a high-ranking game, it's, you know, how, how is New going to prioritize his pitchers in that sense? Yeah, no, it raises a question. Let me back up a little bit to what you were talking about because you said a lot there. Um, interestingly enough, it's funny you say you don't know much about Oregon baseball. You wrote that whole article coming into the season about Oregon trying to make a comeback oh, in yeah. baseball and return to relevance. I thought you knew a thing or two about Oregon baseball. Well, I'm currently, you know, the, the sick demons, the allergy demons are getting to me right now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, <laughs> as I'm recording this, I'm just, it, it's differently, it, you know, I I don't want to say it's on the same level as the Michael Jordan flu game, but I'm just going to say it's a, it's a, it's on the same level. You know, MJ, not not the MJ who produces the beats, you know, MJ, Michael Jordan, not not, not Michael B. Jordan, the GOAT. <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> anyway, so back to Oregon, back to Oregon. Yeah, um, well, thankfully for us, we're going to have Lucy at that series. Unfortunately, Lucy won't be joining us on retreat, but she's going to be covering this series, and so she's going to be at all those games. Um, keeping us updated and like you said we'll be watching at it at least if not watching it while we're playing Monopoly or something like that up in the cabin but (laughs) I actually don't know where I think it's just going to be on like the Cal live yeah it's I think it's going to be on the Cal live stream not exactly the the Pac-12 network I remember John Cansano of I think Oregon live was he wrote another article really going in on the Pac-12 and I mean that's just kind of his MO at this point to just really go in on the Pac-12 and you know I was you know this is one of my biggest things too it's you know, if you really want to, you know, publicize the teams that you have, you know, you got Andrew Vaughn, reigning Golden Spikes winner, but then you also have, like, a lot of a lot of really interesting players, you know, on this Cal roster and on this Oregon roster. This is a really big series for both teams, but to just, you know, not have anywhere to broadcast it aside from if you have access to a laptop, it's a, a come on, Pac-12, uh, what, are we, <laughs> what are we doing here? You know. Yeah, really. I mean, it just goes back to the demand. Unfortunately, there's not a huge demand for college baseball. I think it's gaining popularity. At least I hope it is. Um, you talked about all this talent we have on this team. That's something we've been talking about. Just imagine this team comes back next year. You get all the juniors, be seniors. Oh, my gosh, that could be something special. 
And I think that is going to be something to, you know, we're talking about, you know, the bullpen depth. I think just taking a super super macro view and looking forward towards the future is how are these, you know, what is this, what is the depth of this rotation going to look like, you know, going next year? Because in regards to the lineup, you know, there are a couple players who at the end of the day will probably have that opportunity to hear their name called in the draft. Andrew Vaughn, Mm -hmm. obviously, but Cameron Eden, you know, if he decides to go in the draft, Corey Lee potentially as well. But in regards to this rotation, it feel it has the the feeling of rotation that might come back in its entirety if they so choose. You know, I'm not entirely sure where, where Horn might want to go or maybe Sabori might want to go. But you know, at, we've been talking about the lineup in terms of year to year, you know, roster sustainability. I think it'd be interesting to see what this pitching staff could do if the entirety of the pitching staff was to come back. Yeah, and that goes back to the idea of the nine freshman pitchers that we have. And, you know, we talk about Stottenborough and his struggles in his last couple outings. It's always crucial to remember he is a freshman and, you know, he's learning every day. And you see guys like Reyes, like Horn, make these comebacks. You know, you know, if they struggle early on, it's not necessarily an indication that they don't have the talent or have what it takes. It's just, you know, they need time to be polished. They need time to be groomed and they could step in and do some great things. So, you know, I think moving forward, it's going to be, really exciting to see how this team kind of unfolds how these guys develop and I think there's a lot moving forward but I think you wanted to get back to Oregon so I'll let you go ahead and guide us back on that track this is a a good place (laughs) where we can like sort of and and then this is the one thing that it's kind of like a I don't know if it's super controversial but the way that it works in baseball in regards to the draft is that you have to be you either go straight out of high school or you stay until you're a junior and you know, there, I don't think there's one perfect way in regards to, you know, collegiate athletics. I think the NCAA is, uh, is <laughs> hasn't exactly had the greatest look going for it. But in terms of all the sports, when I look at it, I think that baseball has one of the better ways to go about, you know, the draft process. And because it does force you to – because there are some players who are ready to go straight out of high school, and there's some players who do need a uh, – you know, they do need some polishing. And – you know, when I look at, you know, to go basketball a little bit, you know, I look at UCLA's basketball team. I see some guys like Jalen Hands and Moses Brown who are, they're solid basketball players, but you know, I think we're probably going to talk about them in, more in particular on the basketball podcast. But when I see them, I just, I don't see players who are ready for, you know, the NBA. And I feel as if, if they were forced, in a sense, to stay for at minimum three years, it would be more beneficial than allowing them to, you know, head to the pros when they may not be ready. So, you know, th- I don't think there's a, you know, there's no one size fits all approach to the draft. But, you know, speaking of just this year to year retention, I think that's a, that's just something that's been, you know, percolating on my mind is, you know, the difference between the way that baseball does their draft and the way that basketball does their draft. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, like, so many players need polishing. You know, it's um funny story I heard. Paul Goldschmidt got drafted by the Dodgers straight out of high school. And uh, he wanted X dollars and they wouldn't budge and give it to him for just some dude coming out of high school. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to college. So he went and played college baseball. And I mean, he led, he's leading a pretty successful career. So it does work out for a lot of dudes. Um, it's, it's definitely something a lot of players need definitely to get their development going. Yeah, there are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of players when it comes to, um, you see it a lot in college baseball where they get drafted straight out of high school and then they'll decide to stay for uh they'll they'll decide to you know run their course in college you know darren baker was drafted straight out of high school i 
I'm trying to think of anybody else who was drafted straight out of high school on this team, but I know that Aaron Judge was drafted straight out of high school mm-hmm. and went to college. You know, he was actually drafted by the A's, and, you know, who's to say what could happen in regards to him <laughs> and his tenure? You know, just being, you know, a Bart right away, how fun that would have been. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely something that we see, and, you know, more often than not, if, unless you're, like, a first-round pick or, like, a fifth-round pick at minimum, you're probably going to go to college. And, you know, if even if you don't decide to just go straight out of high school, it's definitely – it's it's definitely a confidence booster in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, baseball is such a huge learning curve. I mean, when you make it to the show, it's a whole nother ball game. You guys, you see guys who will tear it up in high school, tear it up in college, even through the minors, they'll be successful. And it's just, you, Jock Peterson was a triple crown winner when he was in triple A and he just hasn't replicated that success since he's gotten to the show. I think baseball has got one of the biggest learning curves. And so, you know, college provides that opportunity to let people um, kind of adjust to that. One thing we've talked about, I don't think metal bats are doing them any favors, man. I think, I don't know, I'd like to see college baseball make a move toward wood. That's just my personal opinion. I was about opinion. to say, like, this just came out of le- <laughs> That's out totally field. random, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be a conversation for, like, maybe the off season. Yeah. I know. So we're, okay, we're rambling about the draft now. We're not talking about UCLA <laughs> and Sacramento State. Do we have any final thoughts in regards to uh, either this UCLA-Sacramento State game or this upcoming Oregon series, Brigham Young? I think we're good. I want to say I'm really proud of the team for the outing they had against UCLA. Even that first game that they didn't win to put up seven, I mean, that was really impressive. Closeout game two with a victory. Uh, you know, it shows this is a force to be reckoned with. It's not a fluke. Yeah, I mean, there was reason to be skeptical. Okay, you swept Long Beach. They were 3-22 and coming into that series. Wazoo was 5-20. and But, I mean, they're hanging with real teams, man. They're doing a great job. They just beat Arizona. And we're going to see what they got against Oregon. I think they're going to be just fine. And I was talking about this uh, with New after the Sacramento State game. It felt like that loss, in a sense, was really a wake-up call for the team. And they've been 10 of 13 since that loss. Or, yeah, since that loss. And, you know, sometimes even, you know, even if everything's clicking on all cylinders, sometimes you really just need that splash of water to the face. And mm-hmm. it couldn't have come at a better time. And, you know, with this Oregon series, BYU, I'm really excited to see what this team can do, you know, against not exactly you – know, I don't want to put Oregon and BYU on the level of UCLA, but against – legitimate uh tournament contenders yeah no definitely it's uh it's gonna be as the season moves on i think we have some a good slate of games coming in we have a couple road trips we're going out to utah we're hosting stanford who's top three now uh you know we have have some good opportunities to prove ourselves going down the road i think that's the weekend right before finals week so uh we'll we'll have to see (laughs) exactly what we prioritize there but any final thoughts before we get on out of here I think that about does it for me. And I just uh, get about 13 hours of sleep. (laughs) (laughs) With that being said, Season 2, Episode number 5 of the One Golden Moment Podcast. Justice De Los Santos, Joey Patton, a.k.a. Jose Patron. (laughs) Until next Friday, signing off.